Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it's amazing how fast September's gone. We are already down to the end of the month. And as you know, September was Suicide Prevention Month, and that's how we started uh, early in September. We uh, had a guest on talking about that, and we want to also uh, have uh, one more discussion about it before the month wraps up. And my special guest today is Dr. Gregory Jantz. He is a, not only a very popular speaker, but an award-winning author of many books, including Healing the Scars of Emotional Abuse, Healing the Scars of Childhood Abuse, and Overcoming Anxiety, Worry, and Fear. He's the founder of this center, A Place for Hope, which was voted among the top 10 clinics in the nation for healing depression. You can learn about him at Dr. Gregory Jantz, J. A-N-T-Z, drgregoryjance.com. You can also go to aplaceofhope.com. He's written a book called So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. We want to talk today to the people who love these dear ones enough to step in and step up to make a difference in their lives. There's so much to live for. God has guaranteed it. Greg, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. I I know it's a hard topic, but... We, we all know somebody uh, or have had a loved one where suicide has touched the family. And I appreciate you doing my show, and uh, you're a big deal in the recovery, uh, depression uh, community, and everything you've done for so many people has made such a difference. And I loved your book when you started off uh, referencing a, a Walter Winchell uh, observation. He said, a real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. And I've always thought of that as the uh, fireman friend. When everyone is racing out of the building, the fireman is racing in. You know, and that's what we want to be. Again, suicide is, even to use the word, uh, is something that we need to talk about. The increase in suicide attempts, we're at all-time highs right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is my 40th book. I never thought I was going to do a book on this topic Initially, it was not on my radar, but I began to look. We've come through two years of, of pandemic and chronic stress, uh, anxiety and addictions. Uh, addiction rates are the highest we've ever seen, uh, and now we're seeing it show up in suicide rates. And we really do want to change that direction and save some lives. Yeah, and it's important uh, for a family a member or a, a very informed friend. If you're going to help a person, you got to know how to do this correctly. So there's your book is going to be offering a lot of help and hope for people uh, in that situation. Well, one of the things that's happening here's here's just to to look at the reality. Right now, we're really concerned about the ages of 12 to 17. These wow. this is our youth. Um, it's the suicide is the second. Uh, leading cause of death for 12 to 17-year-olds in the United States. Now, you think about, what? What, 12 
13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And so what we're seeing is, now last year we had the highest academic failure we've ever had. Virtual learning did not work. And we have kids who are being exposed to pornography early on uh, on the Internet around age nine. And addictions for kids are starting younger ages. There's a hopelessness uh, with our kids uh, about their futures. So this is something we've really got to address. And it's not just that age group, but that's, that's an alarming increase in that age group. Yeah, Greg, what are, what are some more of the factors? Because I think this is the key that we understand this, that, that, are, that is fueling the modern-day suicide surge. Well, I mentioned two of them. One is yes. uh, anxiety uh, is at all-time highs. It used to be, you know, depression was kind of at the top of the list, and it's, it's uh, certainly anxiety followed by uh, lots of depression. Uh, again, it's this chronic period that we've been living in. There's been a lot of fear. And then we have fear, we have isolation, we have unknowns about our future, and it puts people in a a place sometimes of just despair. They feel despair. And that if you live in despair too long, then your thinking really gets off. It's like, well, I'd be better off if I wasn't around. And, And you begin, your thinking gets distorted because anxiety distorts your reality. And two things come up. You get irrational, your thinking's off, and you become impulsive. And so this is what happens. The suicide thinking is a real dark place to, uh, to land. Uh, and if you've been living in despair, maybe you've already had those kind of thoughts. You know, Greg, one of the dangers that jumped off the page was the connection addiction or fear of missing out. I think that is uh, a problem with younger the younger generation where they come home from a day of school and it's in the evening and they go on social media and they realize what they haven't been invited to. Yes. They realize what they're missing what they out on. Yeah, or perceived missing out. Yes, perceived. And, yeah. And, you know, the more we've gotten connected, let's say through social media, the more, quote, connected, actually, the more lonely people have become. Loneliness is at record rates. Uh, there was an interesting study that just said here 61% of Americans feel lonely. Well, that's over half. They feel lonely. And wow. if, asked, if asked who their close friend is, many don't have a close friend. And so all the interconnectedness, all the Facebook, all the social media uh, – people are feeling more lonely and more isolated. Mm-hmm. Greg, what about substance abuse and if you have suffered some kind of post-traumatic stress? Yes, substance abuse disorder um, and substance use is way up. We set, this sounds strange to say it, but um, we set some uh, alcohol sales record this year. I and heard one, about that. In one week, we sold a billion dollars worth of beer. What? Wow. wow. You know, and so uh, in many states, uh, uh, hard alcohol is available for purchase in grocery stores. The accessibility is greater. Uh, and the sales of alcohol really are uh, high. Um, I did a little experiment at a local grocery store. I uh, asked the checkout. I said, uh, you know, with the pexiglass in front of me, I said, um, what's your biggest seller now? 
she made a joke. She said, well, it's not toilet paper like it was once. It's alcohol. <laughs> we can't yeah. keep it on the shelves. Oh, that's troubling. Uh, but when you look at some of the list of things that can cause people such despair, um, loss of finances, debt, broken relationships, job loss, uh, marital strife or infidelity, bullying or cyberbullying, um, any kind of natural disaster or even a damaging secret gets exposed. This can all drive people into uh, a place of desperation. Desperation followed by um, a sense of I have no hope for my future. And really, we know that many times when there's suicide attempt, there's a chemical influence. So alcohol, drugs, uh, there's a chemical influence. We also know the other age group I hadn't mentioned yet, but it's actually men 50 and above uh, who are in this category of uh, suicide numbers going up. So it's important for us to be aware uh, in the United States, you know, and sometimes we get a little uh, hardened with statistics. So um, these statistics are actual people. Um, but right now we're running about every 11 minutes. So during this interview, somebody has attempted suicide every mm. 11 minutes. And we know that about 130 plus or minus uh, are successful each day in the United States. Mm -hmm. That adds up. Those are lives. That adds up to be a lot of people. Yeah. Greg, what about childhood traumas? If you've had something that has went on in your uh, childhood uh, and it surfaces as an adult later on, you realize, boy, that sexual abuse or something else that went on in my life has just caused incredible despair over so many years. And now I don't know what to do. Yes. You know, abuse, childhood abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse can be, it's that post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. It can be kind of like a ticking time bomb. You, eventually it goes off and I can't really handle it anymore. And all the old coping mechanisms I had aren't working anymore. Maybe I've increased alcohol and, and, and you really realize this trauma this trauma from my past, I just can't seem to get rid of it because it teaches you that you are uh, no good, have no value, you're defective, you're ruined in some way, you're not good enough. So it keep, it, the trauma tells you a lot of lies about yourself. Well, mm -hmm. if, I don't, if I can't get over that, then I have no hope for my future. So we do know a, you know, a higher percentage of folks who are attempting suicide um, have had significant trauma in their life. Yeah. And, of course, another group that is higher than average are our veterans. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, this, is a, this is tough there, um, because we have way too many veterans who have committed suicide. It's, it's, it's hard to even say that, but then we know that... Um, Recently, the, everything in Afghanistan, um, we saw a uptick in um, vets and suicide. Mm -hmm. Greg, let me take a short break when I come back. Um, I'm real curious if any listener would be willing to uh, text uh, over the number one if suicide has been a part of your immediate family 
Maybe text the number two if suicide has been a part of your extended family, cousins or relatives, or maybe text number three if uh, it has been a part of your uh, friends. I'm just curious how many people would would respond to this. Um, You text to 877-933-2484. So text one if it's immediate family, two if it's extended family, or three if it's... uh, of friends and, and family, or friends and co-workers. And Dr. Gregory Jantz is my guest, and he's written a book called So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. We'll be back after a short break. Gregory Jantz, he's uh, author of many books, 40 as a matter of fact, and the book we're chatting about right now is called So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. Uh, Greg, the text line has, has lit up. Let me tell you, this breaks my heart. There's a lot of ones, a lot of twos, and a lot of threes going on. You know, it, it touches us, us all. And oh, boy, does it ever. There's time, yes, and we, we again... In our circle of influence and family and friends, all of us know somebody yeah, or, really or a close family member. Um, we're seeing this in our schools uh, as well. And so we really do want to speak some hope today and what is a difficult topic. Um, I can tell you after, you know, we're, we're a facility where people come and stay and they're here for weeks. One of the things that I hear is from people who were maybe had a lot of suicide thoughts, suicide ideation. Mm-hmm. I hear, I, I'm so glad, so glad I made the choice to live. I didn't know I could make it through this. Yeah. And so that's a common theme. So I want to say, I know that people can make it through this with the right help. Okay. It, it does require help. Yeah. Greg, let me let me run by some quick questions, and you can sort of maybe give me quick answers. Um, let me ask you this: Is suicide the result of a mental illness? I don't. You really use the term mental illness. I think it's more of a result of of the trauma or addiction or hopelessness. It could be a pattern, or a persons had long-standing uh, mental health issues. And uh, this is kind of where the road has led them. I do see mm-hmm. that as a possibility. But I don't really describe suicide as a mental illness. Okay, awesome. What about uh, talking about suicide or asking someone if they feel suicidal? Is that, are you planting an idea in their head which might encourage them to do it? This is a myth. And okay. A myth is uh, that if I say something, I might give them an idea. Here's right. the Here's the opposite uh, that's true. It's important to say, if you see the if loved ones distressed, you know, be in conversation with them. If they talk about how bad it is, it's good to ask, have you ever thought about hurting yourself? Have mm-hmm. you ever um, thought about not being alive or, or killing yourself? Ask those questions. Here's what happens. It doesn't give any ideas. It opens a door 
for them to share deeper what's going on. And we need to know. They need they need a lot of empathy. Um, they need a lot of sensitivity around this. So, um, and, and and they don't need any judgment because they're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Greg, if someone is talking about committing suicide, are, are they just looking for attention? Uh, are they in real danger? Now, there is... Um, Generally, the answer is no. Uh, okay. We always take it. We always take it very seriously. Now, there are those that um, maybe with some uh, personality issues that um, are using it uh, uh, or doing um, what you know, cutting a wrist or doing something like that as an order to manipulate. That does happen, um, but a person who's truly suicidal is not really playing a game. Mm-hmm. What about do people decide to take their own life out of the blue without warning? Are there signs that everyone misses um, or, or are there clues along the way? Sometimes there's clues along the way. And I, I have to say, not always. You know, uh, and this is where uh, one of the things we look for for a person who has been so distraught uh, and then they start maybe giving things away, or it seems like they're putting their life in order, and then um, their mood changes. They seem, they seem more positive. Well, that's a warning sign, potentially. Uh, mm-hmm. When a person, person makes a decision that I'm going to end my life, sometimes you'll see a real mood change. Okay. So when, that's, when one, some... yeah, that's okay. one possible indication. Yeah, Greg, when someone is, you know, maybe recovering after hitting bottom, um, are, are, do we consider them like that? that is, they're through with this season of anxiety and or are they out of the woods or do we still need to be watching them carefully? I think we need to be alert. And alert doesn't mean I'm going to be overly um, worried but I'm going to be very alert. I'm going to make sure, are they doing the things that are keeping them strong? Do I see them engaged with others? Are they uh, participating in the counseling or a support group? Are they doing those things uh, on an ongoing basis? And I really think that is important. Mm-hmm. When someone has contemplated suicide or even attempted it, is there any uh, fear of them doing it again if they're if they try suicide or attempt it once, uh, might are they always going to be maybe suicidal? No, but they may have a tendency to fall back to that uh, or struggle with those thoughts. Uh, it is, you know, you can be doing great, and maybe a person, let's just say they, um, they relapse on alcohol and they get so distraught about that because they were doing so well. And maybe they start to slip into some of that thinking that says, I'm not, I'm not worth anything or I'm not of value. And then they, they can start to entertain those thoughts. So that, that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, um, you know, there's a spiritual side to this as well. We know that the enemy can, uh, comes to kill and destroy. You know, right. this is where the... the Suicide thinking, there is a battle for our life. Yeah, there is indeed. So 
Um, yes. I'm just wanting to spend our last couple of minutes uh, talking about steps we can take, things we can do when we know of someone in our life that might be suicidal or might the thought of it might scare us that the person might be suicidal. Besides, of course, buy your book. Well, one of the things is um, engage with them. Uh, take them outside for a walk. Uh, have a conversation, but uh, don't always just sit in a chair. Uh, a lot of things are, are interesting when you start going outside and going for a walk, how people communicate differently. So just engage. Hear their concerns. A key word here is listen. Um, <clears throat> hesitate uh, to try to fix everything, but just really listen and be there for them. And in being there for them, um, gently guide them to to the help or resources they may need. Um, stay in relationship with them. Uh, a person who's been suicidal uh, or distressed could be very hypersensitive to, like, abandonment. Um, mm-hmm. And so just remember um, where they're coming from. Remember that fear and, and depression distort reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Greg, I love that you're talking about listening because I know how critical that is. And in your book, you share that a good listener isn't afraid of silence and don't rush to fill every pause with comment. I think that's beautiful. Sometimes we just need to be heard. (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And you also say a good listener leads the conversation with more questions, not commentary. And that, of course, the purpose is... Yeah, the purpose is to learn as much as you possibly can. I think many of us feel ill-equipped when someone gets in a very dangerous zone, though. So we're, we just want to be equipped as to how we can best help our loved ones. Yes, absolutely. And, and yeah. you know what? We're going to keep loving, and we're going to— one thing I haven't mentioned, but we're going to pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. What? How? How can I be of help? How can their their spirit be calmed? How? What? Uh, hope comes when we have a plan. How can I help be a part of a plan? Yeah, I would imagine uh, if you're suicidal, you're feeling uh, hopeless, depressed. So, if you are making contact, uh, regular contact, daily contact, call on the phone, send a text, write a letter, visit in person, maybe bring over a small gift or. A, Something that you can just do to say, look, at I am here and I am showing up and I'm going to continue to speak truth into your life and listen to what you have to say to me. There you go. Yes. Well, it's been a delight getting to know uh, you and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do the show today. Um, If you want to learn more about uh, Greg, his ministry and learn more about him, you can go to Dr. Gregory Jantz. J-A-N-T-Z dot com, or you can go to aplaceofhope.com. His book is so much to live for, how to provide help and hope to someone considering suicide. Thank you, Greg, so much for being on the show. Oh, yes. So good to be with you. Yeah. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You bet. All right. We'll take a little break. When we come back, David Mathis is going to join me. He is, uh, of course, over at desiringgod.org. He's got a new book called Humbled. Can't wait to hear more about that. We'll be right back.
Okay, put on humility. Have a humble mind. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So those are some of the great verses in Scripture, and we're going to talk about that very topic, uh, humility and humbled. And my guest is uh, David Mathis. He is an author, executive editor of DesiringGod.org, and he's also a pastor at Cities Church. He's married to Megan and has four kids. David, welcome. Phil, it's good to be back with you, brother. Yeah, you know, Megan just called the studio and wanted to know if you she wants to have four more kids. Oh, well, talk about humbling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to spring that on you, but, you know, I thought, whoa, four kids, she wants four more. So what do you think? <laughs> we, um, we have our hands full with four right now. <laughs> well, congratulations on your book, Humbled. I'm excited to talk to you about it. Maybe we can start by um, just talking about what humility is in biblical terms. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I mean, it, that's an interesting question, and, and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a tricky question um, because sometimes we, you know we, we relate human virtues to God. We think about His His goodness, His kindness, His grace, His patience. But when it comes to humility. Uh, humility is, is very much a, a creaturely virtue. Um, until we get to Philippians 2, and we talk about the humility of Jesus, which maybe we can talk about that again in a few minutes. Yeah, but I'd love to. The Bible doesn't talk about God being humble. Not that he's arrogant. He's not arrogant. He's not prideful. He's not the opposite of humility, but humility is a creaturely virtue. Humility is said to be something that's, that's true of the creature, of humans. When humans realize our place, our relative lowness, our finitude uh, in relation to God in his eternality and his highness. And so one of the first places that you see this language of humbling yourself in the Bible is when Moses stands before Pharaoh. And, and one of the questions there to Pharaoh, who is you know, purported to be God with a lowercase g in Egypt— is how long will you harden your heart? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before God as he brings these plagues one after another that's meant to humble Pharaoh? So, so humility is very much a creaturely virtue. It's an acknowledging of my humanness, my creatureliness. And one way you might say uh, that humility sounds like is, is humility says, he is God and I am not. Yeah, David, so I know... Scripture prompts us to ask, you know, because we're commanded to hum to humble ourselves, seek humility. All right, so that's good. So how how do I humble myself? <laughs> so, I'm Bill, asking all was, the tough questions up front. Well, Bill, that's exactly the question that drove that drove the book. Is, okay. Uh, as as a so I'm I just turned 41, and I'm I've been just plodding along, reading my Bible for about 20 years. And I would come across these phrases about humbling yourself, and, and the, the Bible is very clear. Those verses you listed at the beginning about seek humility, put on humility, be humble, that, uh, that clearly were commanded in Scripture to be humble. And there are these texts throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament and, and in the teaching of Jesus, 
about humbling ourselves. And so my question as a 21st century American, well, how do I do it? You know, I'd like to be humble. Sure. How do I humble myself? And so I I came with with that question. What do I do to humble myself? And, and, And frankly, the answer that came back from the biblical text was pretty humbling. Uh, I, I realized uh, some lack of humility, perhaps, in my in my question, at least the way I was posing it in my heart, because again and again throughout the Bible, the question of self-humbling isn't something that a human steps forward and decides to initiate on their own terms, in their own timing, but rather, first, God does the unplanned, unexpected, uncomfortable work of humbling his people. Mm-hmm. And then the question comes to them, all right, now will you humble yourself? Will you receive the work that God has done, painful as it is, uncomfortable as it is, as from his hand, as from his goodness for your good? Or will you try to explain it away? Will you try to make excuses for it? Will you say, oh, you know, this, this just happened, but this is no reflection on me, or this is no call for my humbling. But humbling ourselves, it uh, recognizes God at work in the most painful of our moments in life, humbles ourselves before him to receive his work and to seek his, his guidance, his provision, his upbuilding, his healing in the midst of our pain. Mm-hmm. David Mathis is my guest. His book is called Humbled, Welcoming the Uncomfortable Work of God. He was nice enough to provide five copies to give away today during this uh, time. If you want to uh, get in on the drawing, all you do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. All right, David, in Chapter uh, 3, you talk about humility begins with hearing. I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, this is where it begins to be pretty practical. So if one of the first big lessons is you don't initiate your own humbling. God initiates the humbling of his creatures. And the question of self-humbling comes once God's done the humbling. <laughs> if that's the first yeah. big lesson. The, the second lesson then is there are some things, there are some patterns we can put in our lives to prepare our hearts, prepare our souls, prepare, uh, prepare us for God's humbling hand when it comes in its most difficult and painful ways. And one of the things again and again that you see throughout Scripture is the pairing of humbling with obedience to God's Word, with hearing His Word, understanding His Word humbly, and then seeking to obey His Word. And so uh, hearing God through the Bible, through faithful preaching in the context of local church, is one of the ways that God prepares us on a weekly basis in corporate worship and on a daily basis as we come before His Word with a posture of humility Uh, in, say, devotional time. Uh, God is preparing our souls for those humbling moments, preparing us to respond rightly to Him when His humbling hand descends in our lives. You know, when you say this, David, it sounds like it's not the end of the world, which is, I'm sure, going to be an encouragement for a lot of people. If you've been humbled by God, if God has humbled you, can't you then arm yourself with your weakness and then become strong? Oh, God is, uh, he, he's so committed as our, as our <laughs> loving Heavenly Father to our everlasting good. He has, he has plans for us that are exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we could ask or think, as Paul says in Ephesians 3. And, and 
plans include those successions of humblings in our lives. So it, it, coming to a moment of, of personal humbling in your life is not a question of if. Uh, it, it's a question of when. Uh, mm-hmm. Either there's a either there's a pattern of sin in your life, and because of unbelief, because you're running from God, there's a humbling that happens. Or uh, as His child, God brings discipline that isn't always for our sin. Sometimes the great humblings of our lives are owing to our sin, and there, there's things to learn about ourselves. There's things to confess. Uh, there's sin to confess in us. But there are other times where we're not at fault. There, there's no sin, and yet God humbles us in His good plan. And indeed, exposes sin, exposes weakness, and uh, and makes us into the kind of person he would have us to be for his glory and the good of others. Mm-hmm. David Mathis is my guest, and his book is called Humbled. So, David, I would guess that when we come to repentance, that is obviously a, a place of humbling ourselves to go, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that, that would be, uh, if we talked a minute ago just about humility in, in more general human categories of saying, he is God, I am not. And one question would be, would be uh, all right, how is it Christian? <laughs> because uh, I, I didn't mean to just write a book about human humbling. Uh, right. I, I meant to talk about Christian humbling. Right. And uh, to not just confess at those moments, all right, he's God, I'm not. But to also say, this God has provided a provision in his son. For the covering of my sins, if 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 I if any sin is exposed in my humbling, uh, there is a provision for those sins in Jesus Christ, and there's a very particular place to turn with my repentance to in and in repentance turn to faith in Jesus. So, as a Christian pastor, uh, I I want it to be a a Christian humility, not just a human humility, which right. uh, th- that's a, that's a good thing in in God's common kindness. You know, people praise humility in the workplace and in society and sometimes in our world of of pride and bombast and arrogance, it stands out when a leader of a company or a leader in the government is manifestly humble and and people praise that and they like it. Uh, But I'm not talking about just a human humbling, but a a Christian humbling that is very much bound up with who God has shown himself to be in Jesus. Yeah, I love that. David, let's talk about an example, uh, um, something from Scripture where we can learn from the humbling of others. What's one of your favorite stories of humility, humbling? Well, it's, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's a negative story, but we're supposed okay. to take a positive lesson from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, well, it, at least it's about, uh, it shows us how we should be humbled by the humbling of others, not only our own humbling. So, I mean, in, in, in particular, as you know, the, the Internet and modern media can be used for, for many good purposes. One of the purposes is to spread a lot of trash and gossip publicly about people. So we, we hear more stories than we ever have that are negative. And, uh, and one way to take those stories uh, when, some, when, it, when they're about someone's humbling is to, is to also humble ourselves in that. So, th- so this is from the book of Daniel. And Daniel chapter 5 tells of Belteshazzar, who was the I think, grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. And from chapter 4, we know about this great humbling in King Nebuchadnezzar's life where he went through a very dark season of living in the wilderness, and his kingdom being taken from him, as God humbled him for the pride that was in his heart and was so manifest. And then he indeed was humbled and even repented and prayed to the God of heaven, whatever that means. We don't know the details for Nebuchadnezzar. But when God comes and writes on the wall to his grandson, 
uh, <laughs> one of the he go he calls for Daniel, and Daniel yeah. comes in and says, in essence, you should have learned from the humbling of your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. You uh, part of part of your culpability here is that in your own family, in this own kingdom, in your lifetime, in just a generation before you. You're, you're, you know, this significant figure of Nebuchadnezzar was humbled like this before the Most High God, and you have not learned from it. And then the next day, uh, he was killed, and his kingdom was taken from it. So it's a negative lesson for us. And th- the positive for us is don't be like Belteshazzar. Uh, don't let the humbling of others stay disconnected from your own. As you see others, friends, family, um, we, in Christian sympathy, we draw near to them, we pray with them, we comfort them, we help them. And it's not inappropriate for us as Christians, as we see the humbling of others, for us also to search our own hearts, to, uh, to, to be humbled ourselves in those moments by the failures we see around us. Yeah, so good. David Mathis is my guest. You know him from DesiringGod.org. He's written a book called Humbled, Welcoming the Uncomfortable Work of God. You want to get in on the drawing to get one of five copies that he's made available to us. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, just the word book, nothing else, no quotations, nothing. Just B-O-O-K to 877-933-2484. After a short break, we'll be right back with David. Mathis from DesiringGod.org. His new book, Humbled. You can be part of that drawing. Send the word book to 877-933-2484. David, you know, I love this passage out of Romans chapter 12. In verse 3 it says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. How does that fit into this humility discussion? Oh, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Phil. That's, a, that's such an important passage. You know, I, I do think there is uh, sometimes a tendency to think of humility in, in a wrong way. C.S. Lewis pointed this out, I believe, uh, that you could think of uh, humility mainly as thinking of your, thinking less about yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he pointed out how much humility is thinking about yourself less. Just not, not spending so much time on yourself. So there's a kind of faux humility uh, that, that, while focusing on self, just talks down about self. You know, woe is me, and what a worm, and a lot of self-pity. But I mean, self-pity is not the same thing as humility. Uh, often humility uh, turns its gaze elsewhere, and humility is evidenced by a lack of self-focus. And, uh, and, and that, that's the kind of sober judgment uh, I, I think that Paul's getting at Romans Romans 12 there. So it's not to think of himself more highly than he ought, which we are all so prone to do in our pride and sin, but to think with sober judgment. And that, that's the that's the kind of thing I, I, I want to commend. It's the kind of thing I pray for myself, 
God help me help me to uh, to not any any kind of false way or any way that would hinder the work of the gospel or hinder good relationships to uh, pretend in in negative ways uh, about myself or to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. But would you would you give me sober judgment? Would you give me sober self assessment of self? And uh, and often that means that it's not very extensive analysis of self. There, there's an important place for introspection in the Christian life, but it's a limited place. Mm-hmm. And I, I think humility is one of the things that, dr- that brings us out of ourselves to focus on great things, and in particular, Jesus Christ and his cause in the world. David, is this a topic, subject you've been thinking about for a long time, or did you have a, a humbling moment that really drove you to want to do a deeper dive into this topic? Yeah, there, there wasn't a, a particular moment that pressed me in this direction as much okay. as, as the biblical text. I mean, I, yeah. as uh, I, looking back on, on 41 years of life, I can, I can definitely identify some moments that were acutely painful and humbling. Um, but really what drove me to the study was curiosity about this humble yourself language in the Bible. Yeah. It, it, it's, a very, it's one of Jesus' most pronounced teachings. I suspect that when when Jesus said uh, that God will humble the proud and give grace to the humble, as he started that refrain, I bet people who heard him often could finish the line. You know, this is one of Jesus' regular teachings, and he gives it in several different contexts. It's not always the punchline of the same parable. Uh, there's at least three different ways that he ends various teachings in the gospel with this line. And it has it has a deep deep Old Testament background going back to Proverbs chapter three verse thirty four that God gives grace to the humble and then it is one of the major themes in Second Chronicles as the chronicler is telling the story of the decline of Israel's king and of nation in this downward spiral from from one prideful king to the next as the people spiral downward from the height under David and Solomon down to down to exile. Again and again, this refrain comes up of, of self-humbling, and, and a lot of people know of, of 2 Chronicles 7.14 uh, because we've repeated it often in our, in our culture as we've, as we've felt uh, things declining. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And that's the first mention in 2 Chronicles. That's programmatic. In the rest of in the rest of Second Chronicles, what's really interesting though is verse thirteen. We typically don't read verse thirteen. <laughs> Here's verse thirteen, right before that. If my people called by my name should humble themselves, God says, "When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or get this, twenty twenty, send pestilence among my people." global pandemic, if my people who are called by my name should humble themselves. So you can, wow. you can see that pattern even there, that uh, God's people humbling themselves is not at their own initiative. <laughs> uh, God takes the initiative to humble his people. And I, I, I do say briefly in the book, I, I talk about how, how God humbled the world in 2020 and has, continues to humble the world with this global pandemic here in the last year and a half. And, and and all the the manifestations of of humbling when you put that lens on it you can see in the in the news over the last year and a half 
the most significant humblings in our lives aren't usually ones that we're so disconnected with that we're getting them through the news. It usually is the ones that are close to home. It, it, it's often the humblings that very few people know about, maybe just our family, just our friends, just our local church. Those are often the most painful humblings in our lives and the, the loss of a loved one or the exposure of some sin or an, an unwanted divorce or breakup. These, these are the kind of humblings that are, are probably most painful, even though we can talk about humbling at that global level as well. Mm-hmm. I did read that at the beginning of your book, and it was very well done. So in First Peter 5, verse 6, uh, humble yourselves, writes Peter, under the mighty hand of God. First ascends his humbling hand, then the creature has his turn. God is humbling me. Will I embrace it? Will I humble myself? Boy, those are tough questions. Mm-hmm. That is one of the, uh, that, that's one of the places in the New Testament where, the apostles pick up on Proverbs 3.34. God gives grace to the humble. So here in First Peter 5, also in James, I believe James chapter 4, and, uh, and you can just see how that, that theme echoes from the Old Testament into Jesus and into this context where uh, Peter's, the church that Peter's writing to, uh, they're being pressured from the outside. And it, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes we think about persecution in the New Testament and I think of the, the kind of early church persecution that came, especially uh, especially several decades in, generation 10 for the church in Rome. But here in particular, the, the, the persecution is not physical yet in First Peter. He talks about insults. He talks about maligning. He talks about slander. Uh, so First Peter matches up with our moment pretty amazingly in terms of the kind of insults and slander and maligning that, that continue to be more in vogue and celebrated uh, when they're aimed at the church. And so it's, it's a humbling moment uh, for, for the church that Peter writes to. And as he writes to them, in the midst of this increasing pressure that's moving toward what will maybe eventually be physical persecution, they're experiencing kind of emotional and relational suffering, he instructs them to humble themselves. And so there again, there's, there's that context of under God's mighty hand. So God's taking the initiative, and his hand is mighty. This is yeah. your God. You, ha- you don't have anything to fear here, knowing that he is sovereign, he's in charge, even as your society is turning on you with slander and insults, and you're humbling yourself here. You're doing so under the mighty hand of God, who will uphold you and will exalt you in his proper time. Yeah. David, what about this as one of the top verses in Scripture on biblical humility? Philippians 2.8 that says, And being found in appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's right. I, I do think, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, uh, it's easy to overstate whatever, whatever topic you're looking at. It's easy to overstate the importance of that topic. As I think about it, I do think, some of the most amazing, surprising words in all the Bible are to say about God himself in the person of his son, he humbled himself, which can only happen because God himself became man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And so you see this, that he emptied himself, Paul says, by becoming obedient to the point of, by emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So it's emptying that brings him to be human, and it makes very, Paul makes very clear that the emptying there is not a emptying of divinity, that, as if that were possible. 
the emptying is not a losing but a taking. He emptied himself taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus mm-hmm. became man, which we celebrate at Christmas, and then being found in human form, Paul says, he humbled himself. And an important lesson for us here as Christians in the one that we worship and look to as our Lord, Jesus Christ, that even Christ himself, he humbled himself. And Jesus had no sin. So our humbling ourselves isn't necessarily bound up with our own sin. Now, often in our humbling moments, sin is exposed, and we have repenting to do, and there, there is sin to become aware of. But, but, but self-humbling is not sin-dependent. Because even Jesus himself, without sin, humbled himself by receiving the Father's plan, by being obedient to the point of death, and a humiliating death of shame on the cross. And so we look to Christ as our great example and our Savior as he humbles himself for us. David, so good. We could continue to go on and on on this topic. It's a wonderful topic, and thank you for joining me today, and thank you for making five copies of your book available. The book is called Humbled, Welcoming the Uncomfortable Work of God. David Mathis is the author. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484, and we'll get those names uh, in the uh, barrel for the drawing today. David, thanks so much for um, being on the show. Bill, thank you very much. appreciate you, yep. brother. See you next time. Yep. Okay. Again, the book Humbled uh, is, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll take a short break and be right back with Anna Rask as we continue. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.